This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, you are in the studio with me, Stanley Fritz, Selena Hill, and Alyssa Fuchs. We just had a great conversation about the Pope and what he's doing and or not doing for the Catholic Church and while speaking in America. And we talked about some of the things that he's really been touting, like income inequality, climate change, and sexual abuse. And we had some debates about what he has not been talking about, like abortions and the sexual abuse in the Catholic Church, among other things. if you are just tuning in and want to know what we're talking about now, we are going to be talking about the guy who was just so cool that he bought he he bought the rights to medicine that's been used for um AIDS that cost about thirteen dollars and fifty cents, and he hiked it up by over five thousand percent. And when people got really mad at him, he said, "Well, hey, listen, this isn't this isn't even as bad as some other um medicine." prescription drug medicines that we have out there and the difference is i'm going to use this hike to pay for like fees to get better medicine out there and all the money's going to go back to helping people who really need it and it brought up a really interesting topic because in america we don't really regulate how much these um companies can charge for prescription medicine and it's interesting because a lot of this medicine people absolutely need or they will die there isn't the option. If Trader Joe says that a loaf of bread is going to cost $7, I'll just go to the deli down the block from my house. I don't need to go to Trader Joe's. If I need whole wheat bread to stay alive and Trader Joe's is the only one that has whole wheat bread and they go from charging a dollar for it to $10,000 for it and I don't make $10,000, I don't have $10,000 just to spend, I could possibly die. And that's the issue that we're facing at this moment. And it makes me think about growing up in my neighborhood and how the police officers used to always go out there and go out to drug deals and people who sold things on the street. And they, they would say that these this quote-unquote criminals had no honor. Well, you know what they didn't do? They didn't pump up the prices at the last minute to take advantage of people. It was very cut and dry. So to help us with this conversation of the prescription drug issue and just to really put some, some I guess, some ideas around why we do, we do things the way we do in America, we have Dr. David Howard. And he's a faculty member in the Department of Health Policy and management at Emory University. He is also a health economist who research employs economics and statistics to better understand physician decision making, decision making, and its implications for the public policy. And we're very happy to have David on the show today because I have so many questions, David. You got to explain to me how this guy could just raise the price of medicine and everyone's so mad. But then there have been companies who have done this before and no one said a word. What's so special about this situation that it caught everyone's attention? Yeah, so uh, this guy uh, who I've seen called like the Gordon Gecko of healthcare, which I thought was kind of a <laughs> funny moniker. Um, you know, what was unusual about this situation is that he bought a drug that had previously been selling for you know not much money. So you don't really have that situation very often. You have companies introducing a drug at a very high price, but usually over time the price declines as the patent runs out and generic drugs start to enter. So this guy noticed there's this drug. It's not patent-protected, okay, so other companies could manufacture it. But he notices there's only one company making it. He says, hey, you know what? I can buy this. I can uh, jack up the price. And, you know, it could be that other companies would eventually start manufacturing it and, you know, offer the, the drug for lower prices. It typically happens when generic companies enter. But, you know, at least until that happens, he would be able to earn very high profits on it. Um, you know, making matters somewhat difficult is that it's not, although it's been become easier over time for companies to introduce generic equivalents, um, it still takes a while to get FDA approval. 
Thank you, thank you. So now, guys, if you're just tuning in, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. And you can also tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. We are talking about the prescription pill problem in America. So now, David, he, he came, he saw this opportunity, he took it, he raised the prices. In other countries, this is not an issue. I know, I think in England, Australia, and also France, the government sits down sits down with these pharmaceutical companies, and they kind of like haggle over a reasonable price where the, the company can make money without gouging people who need this medicine. Why does America do it differently? Well, I mean, partly I think there's a fear that, uh, that uh, controlling prices will lead to less innovation and research and development. At least that's you know, the argument advanced by the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, there's some truth to that. I mean, there's a lot of interest among investors now in biotech and companies that are developing new ta- cancer drugs and a lot of the reason has to do with the prices they can charge. If the prices were regulated, there would be less investment. You know, with other companies, that's a little bit less of a concern because their markets are much smaller. So they're, in effect, free riding on the U.S. They can control prices, but they know as long as the U.S. market, uh, as long as companies can continue to earn high profits in the U.S. market, then research and development will continue. But, you know, there certainly are a lot of people who would like to see us move to a system like they have in other countries, Britain in particular, where they look at a drug, they look at its price, they look at its cost, and they say, listen, you can't lower your price to this level, we're not going to pay for it. Right, that makes a lot of sense. If you're listening and you have a comment or a question, you can call in 212-650-6903. And actually, I'll just add to that. I lived in England for a little while, and all of the prescriptions, if I remember correctly, were all the same price. Um, you know, whether you were getting, uh, I guess, uh, penicillin or whether you needed augmentin. I think it was standardized at 14 pounds a prescription, uh, which at the time was actually the equivalent of approximately $28, but now it's less money. Um, another thing that you have to remember about England is that they have a nationalized healthcare system, which we don't have here. They all pay a little bit more taxes, but they all get health insurance through the government, and then some people buy health insurance, private health insurance on top of that. That's, I feel like, a whole other conversation for a whole other day that we can get into. Getting back to this conversation, um, Mr. Howard, I um, my name is Alyssa Fuchs. Just to reintroduce myself, I'm here with Stanley and Selena. Um, And one of the things that this guy, I don't even know his name, Martin something, I call him Pharma Bro, he claimed that he wanted to develop a new drug and that he was raising the price of this drug because of the high cost of research and development to develop new drugs. Um, Now, that is true. There is a very high cost for research and development. So I was curious to ask you is why does it cost so much to develop drugs? Most People, I guess, people I've talked to on the right have said, oh, it's the FDA, but I think it's a little more complicated than that. And are people overreacting when, you know, they react to this situation? Because is this guy really trying to do the right thing by raise money to create some better drug, or is he just a, a butthole? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So as your first question, why does it cost money? I mean, part of it is just the basic science of kind of finding, uh, you know, either chemicals or uh, or uh, copies of proteins that will, you know, ha- have activity against diseases. So it's, you know, the, the, the work that goes on in labs, it's testing in mice, so on and so forth. But then uh, drugs have to, to get FDA approval, they have to undergo uh, clinical trials. Depending on the disease, you know, some of the trials can involve thousands of patients. For other conditions like cancer, the trials tend to be a lot smaller. Uh, there are three phases of trials, um, 
and you know that there has to be a lot of data collected on patients. Patients have to be enrolled, they have to be tracked. Uh, it, it's an expensive process. I mean, as to the FDA, you know, if you if you took away the requirement that that drugs had to demonstrate efficacy in a clinical trial in order to win FDA approval, they would be cheaper to develop because money. So you don't really have that situation very often. You have companies introducing a drug at a very high price, but usually over time the price declines as the patent runs out and generic drugs start to enter. So this guy noticed there's this drug. It's not patent protected, okay, so other companies could manufacture it. But he notices there's only one company making it. He says, hey, you know what, I can buy this. I can uh, jack up the price and... You know, it could be that other companies would eventually start manufacturing it and, you know, offer the, the drug for lower prices, as typically happens when generic companies enter. But, you know, at least until that happens, he would be able to earn very high profits on it. Um, you know, making matters somewhat difficult is that it's not, although it's been become easier over time for companies to introduce generic equivalents, um, it still takes a while to get FDA approval. Thank you, thank you. So now, guys, if you're just tuning in, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. And you can also tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. We are talking about the prescription pill problem in America. So now, David, he, he came, he saw this opportunity, he took it, he raised the prices. In other countries, this is not an issue. I know, I think in England, Australia, and also France, the government sits down sits down with these pharmaceutical companies, and they kind of like haggle over a re- reasonable price where the, the company can make money without gouging people who need this medicine. Why does America do it differently? Well, I mean, partly I think there's a fear that uh, that uh, controlling prices will lead to less innovation and research and development. At least that's you know, the argument advanced by the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, there's some truth to that. I mean, there's a lot of interest among investors now in biotech and companies that are developing new t- cancer drugs. And a lot of the reason has to do with the prices they can charge. If the prices were regulated, there would be less investment. You know, with other companies, that's a little bit less of a concern because their markets are much smaller. So they're, in effect, free-riding on the U.S. They can control prices, but they know as long as the U.S. market, uh, as long as companies can continue to earn high profits in the U.S. market, then research and development will continue. But, you know, there certainly are a lot of people who would like to see us move to a system like they have in other countries, Britain in particular, where they look at a drug, they look at its price, they look at its cost, and they say, listen, you can't lower your price to this level. We're not going to pay for it. Right. That makes a lot of sense. If you're listening and you have a comment or a question, you can call in 212-650-6903. And actually, I'll just add to that. I lived in England for a little while, and all of the prescriptions, if I remember correctly, were all the same price. Um, you know, whether you were getting, uh, I guess, uh, penicillin or whether you needed augmentin. I think it was standardized at 14 pounds a prescription, uh, which at the time was actually the equivalent of approximately $28, but now it's less money. Um, another thing that you have to remember about England is that they have a nationalized healthcare system, which we don't have here. They all pay a little bit more taxes, but they all get health insurance through the government, and then some people buy health insurance, private health insurance on top of that. That's, I feel like, a whole other conversation for a whole other day that we can get into. Getting back to this conversation, uh, Mr. Howard, I uh, um, my name is Alyssa Fuchs. Just to reintroduce myself, I'm here 
there with Stanley and Selena. Um, and one of the things that this guy, I don't even know his name, Martin something, I call him Pharma Bro, he claimed that he wanted to develop a new drug and that he was raising the price of this drug because of the high cost of research and development to develop new drugs. Um, now, that is true. There is a very high cost for research and development. So I was curious to ask you is why does it cost so much to develop drugs? Most people, I guess, people I've talked to on the right have said, oh, it's the FDA, but I think it's a little more complicated than that. And are people overreacting when, you know, they react to this situation? Because is this guy really trying to do the right thing by raise money to create some better drug? Or is he just a a butthole? <laughs> um so as your first question, why does it cost money? I mean, part of it is just the basic science of kind of finding, uh, you know, either chemicals or uh, or uh, copies of proteins that will, you know, ha- have activity against diseases. So it's, you know, the, the, the work that goes on in labs, it's testing in mice, so on and so forth. But then uh, drugs have to, to get FDA approval, they have to undergo uh, clinical trials. Depending on the disease, you know, some of the trials can involve thousands of patients. For other conditions like cancer, the trials tend to be a lot smaller. Uh, there are three phases of trials, um, and, you know, th- there has to be a lot of data collected on patients. Patients have to be enrolled, they have to be tracked. Uh, it- it's an expensive process. I mean, as to the FDA, you know, if you, if you took away the requirement that that drugs had to demonstrate efficacy in a clinical trial in order to win FDA approval, they would be cheaper to develop because companies wouldn't have to undertake those clinical trials. I mean, they, some might on their own, but you know, they wouldn't be required to. But you'd, of course, lose out on a lot of valuable information. Uh, we, there'd be a lot of drugs coming to market, potentially, where we wouldn't really know if they work. And then uh, your second question, is this guy, as you put it, a butthole? I mean... I don't know, I guess I'm of the mindset that, you know, and this is an issue for the pharmaceutical industry generally, uh, you know, they're just reacting to the system that's set up. I mean, we shouldn't blame specific individuals. We should look at the larger system of healthcare. And, you know, it's a system that allows companies to charge quite a bit of money. There's little, uh, little reaction to that. You know, in, in this guy's case, I think that where maybe the system failed is in, making it difficult for generics to win approval. If we made it easier for generics to win approval, uh, this guy would not have been able to raise the price to the same degree. I think I saw on the Internet that in India, where it's very easy, probably too easy for companies to make generics, there are like 10, maybe 20 versions of this drug that are made. Um, So that's one thing. But, hey, you know, if I was in that situation as this guy, I probably would not have raised the price to the same degree. I think that was... It was kind of a ridiculous move. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, Dr. Howard, um, I wanted to bring up this point because there's so many people who literally go financially bankrupt as they're dying, right, or as they're suffering from um, some type of uh, critical disease. And, I mean, it's just so disheartening the wear and tear that this puts on these people and their families. I mean, you know, you might be losing your house while you're losing your mother. That's... I mean, it's just unfantable, and we live in America, right? So I wanted to know, uh, has it always been this expensive, or, you know, has it always been like this? Well, I mean, you know, part of the reason that uh, people do face bankruptcy from medical bills is because there's so much 
you know, more effective medical care today than there was in the past. That includes pharmaceuticals, but also surgery, radiation, diagnostic tests, and so on and so forth. So people have a reason to go bankrupt, I guess. But, uh, you know, it, it is a problem that, that when kind of you need insurance the most, it's often not there. That said, you know, the Affordable Care Act does a lot to remedy that issue. Uh, people are not going to be without insurance because they're too sick to work in most cases. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to see fewer medical bankruptcies now than we did in the past because of the Affordable Care Act. And besides the Affordable Care Act, isn't the government already subsidizing a lot of this prescription medicine, and especially especially the most like expensive ones? And and if so, how like why is there still an issue as far as raising money to do the research that they need to make sure the medicine is pro- works? Right. So, are you talking about like the government uh, through the NIH funds a lot of research that leads to new drugs? Yeah. That yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an accusation, and certainly there are, you know, a handful of cases of drugs that have gone on to be, you know, big sellers where you can point to say, you know, this is research that NIH funded that directly led to the development of this drug. But in a lot of cases, that's not so much the case. I mean, pharmaceutical companies do spend a lot on research and development, and, uh, you know, I'm a little bit uh, skeptical of people who say we can have our cake and eat it too, we can... We can, uh, you know, we, we can dramatically lower the prices we pay for drugs, yet still have all the new drugs coming to the market. I do think there's a trade-off there. That said, I think it's very reasonable to ask the question, you know, do we need, uh, are, are, are the new drugs that are coming to market, you know, incredibly valuable, or could we do with, with less innovation? In some disease areas, I mean, the, the drugs that have come to market have been incredibly beneficial, in others, maybe not so much. So what happens to those medicines that aren't beneficial to people? Well, uh, I mean, they don't sell a lot, and that's part of the risk that pharmaceutical companies face when you know, a drug comes to market. Uh, if it's shown to be not so beneficial, um, then it might not sell as well. The one area where there's a little bit of an exception and that I was really thinking of is uh, anti-cancer drugs. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of anti-cancer drugs coming to market. It's a huge area of research and development now for pharmaceutical companies. There's a lot of investor interest. And, you know, of maybe the 50 or so drugs that have come to market in the last two decades, maybe it's more like 70 drugs, you know, I'd say there's one that really comes close to being a cure. That's the drug that's a Gleevec for um, leukemia. But a lot of other, with a lot of the other drugs that have come to market, and these are drugs that often carry a price tag of $50,000, $75,000, even $100,000 per patient. You're looking at gains in life expectancy of three months, four months, five months. And so if you look over time, I mean, cancer patients, these are patients with late-stage cancer who are definitely going to die from their disease. Uh, you know, they are living longer, but the the, the amount of money we're spending on them is, is quite a lot. And so that's an area where I think that maybe development uh, innovation has not been so beneficial in terms of, of patient outcomes, and we're spending a lot but not necessarily getting a lot. It doesn't sound like it's the best use of money, as, as you seem to be explained to us. So, guys, we do have to go on a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue this conversation on prescription drugs, the pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical company, and America's role in all this because we can just charge lots of money for things that people need. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. I... 
Fetty Wap paid for my cancer medicine. No, he didn't. <laughs> he said he has deep pockets. He swear his ish on blank. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on WHCR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. Fetty Wap got into a motorcycle accident yesterday, but, for the record. But you know what? He only has one good eye. All right. That's not even... No, a- so like, I was just like, Fetty, he needs to be careful. <laughs> it's... So, no, he doesn't. Uh, because well, you know, well, we're talking about medicine, right? Yeah. And he might he he ended up in the hospital, mm-hmm. and you know I don't know how his bills are going to stack up, but at least now that he's out of a certain situation and he's making money as this oh, rapper, he might be case. able to afford. Rapper money is slow. He might not have even gotten a real check yet. Oh, but anyways, no. we are back and we're talking to David Howard, and he's telling us Doctor David Howard. I'm sorry, Doctor David Howard. David, if you don't know what a doctor is, but he's a doctor, guys. <laughs> um, and we are talking about prescription pills and medicine in general. And Alyssa has a really interesting one-and-a-half-part question for you, One-and-a-half-part question. So, yeah, we mentioned uh, it's it's come up twice now in this segment, the Affordable Care Act. Now, one of the things that the Affordable Care Act didn't deal directly with, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand, it did not deal with the cost of drug prices. Um, and so the question is, why did the Affordable Care Act not deal with this issue? And secondly, as the half-question follow-up, why is there is there a law that deals with this type of price gouging? Or if there's not, why is there no law that prevents prevents this type of prowse gouging. Why was he able to raise the cost of this drug 5,000% and there was no law that said you can't raise a drug price more than X percentage at, you know, over a certain time period? Right. Well, I mean, I think this situation is a little bit unique in that, that the drug he, that the drug this guy bought was not patent protected. But for a lot of the drugs that command very high prices, you know, they're patent protected. So, you know, they're charging high prices, uh, because they're monopolies, and they're monopolies by design, because they're protected by the government against competition. And so it's a purposeful policy in some ways. Uh, What, uh, you know, there have been some developments recently, and I believe there was a provision in the Affordable Care Act that that kind of advanced this, was to make it easier for companies to make generic drugs, particularly of uh, what are called biologic agents. So, so historically, it's been easy for companies to get uh, generic, or companies have been able to get generic uh, approval for generic copies of, of chemical drugs. But for biologic drugs, which are some of the most costliest drugs and an increasingly large share of the new drugs that have been developed, there's really no way for them to get a generic version through the FDA. So there have been some, uh, some policy changes in that area. The FDA is in the process uh, recently approved the very first uh, generic copy of a biologic drug, and that should bring some prices down for, for those types of drugs. But in general, I think it's important, you know, going back to what I said originally, I think it's important to recognize that allowing drug companies to charge high prices is kind of a, a purposeful policy of the U.S. government to encourage research and development. We could talk about whether the results have been worth it, but whether they've got the trade-off right, but you know that's you know that's what's going on with most drugs. Well, do they? I mean, in your is opinion, it, do you think the trade-off is right? Right. Uh, you know, it's incredibly difficult to say uh, because you know you're talking about very different diseases. Uh, on the whole, I mean, I think pharmaceutical innovation has been incredibly beneficial, particularly when you're talking about drugs to treat uh, hypertension, oh, cholesterol. You know, if you look at survival rates for heart disease, if you look at the proportion of people who are dying of heart disease today and compare that with 
20, 30, 40 years ago, there have been tremendous gains and tremendous value created. Well, I so, mean, what's the value of people filing for bankruptcy now they're homeless? I, I'm, it's, yes, I mean, we're absolutely happy we can come out with medicine. We can come up with medicine that, that helps people live longer. But right. when people are literally going broke, what's the value in that? Why can't the government come up with their own, like, department? They make departments for everything now. They, make, they have four different departments to, to spy on people's cell phone messages. Why can't we come up with a, with a department where the, the only job of that department, which is taxpayer-funded, is to, to work on patents and medicine so that people don't have to spend half their life savings plus their children's savings to get some medicine that won't let them, that won't, that allow them to not call every five seconds? Right. Well, I mean, I think... You know, I wouldn't necessarily single out the pharmaceutical industry in this regard. People go, people file for medical bankruptcies for a lot of reasons, not just because they have high drug bills, but, you know, hospital, a single hospitalization, a single surgery, a single session of uh, radiation therapy. You know, that can oftentimes tip the balance. Well, it's all a hustle, absolutely. But, you know, at, for, this, for this moment, we're seeing an example of some extreme price gouging. And the reason why, but more, more or less than not, is because they can. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, you know the the policies of uh, Medicare and Medicaid, and a lot of private insurance companies too, is that all FDA approved drugs get reimbursed and covered. Now, I know that people often demonize insurance companies, but it's often surprising how loose or how liberal they are in their coverage policies. But it's also not. It's also very surprising that they can be very strict and hurtful and harmful. Where they'll be paying for something and say, "Well, you've reached your cap," and because of Obamacare, I don't think that they can do that anymore. But that was something that was happening a lot. You'd have people who have cancer and they need this medicine, and all of a sudden, insurance companies like, "We can't subsidize or reimburse this anymore. So pay for this ten thousand dollar medicine on your own." I mean, sure, but but yeah, but I, I'm never aware of a situation where a, a private insurer has denied coverage for a drug because it's too costly, although they do certainly impose cost-sharing requirements and, before Obamacare, the out-of-pocket maximum. But because it's so easy for companies to get approval, because Medicare or private payers or Medicaid never say, we're not going to cover your drug because it's too expensive, companies can basically set their own prices for patent-protected drugs with no resistance. So now how do we create some resistance, some real resistance that's going to make sure that people aren't getting, like, their arm and leg taken so they can have a healthy foot? Right. So, I mean, uh, part of it is, uh, you know, we could go down the route that Britain has where uh, they're saying we're not going to cover this drug unless the price falls below a certain level. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, you run into the situation there where uh, the government has to exercise that threat. And some drugs are not covered. The drugs that patients can get in the U.S., they can't get in the United Kingdom. That's proved to be very controversial there. The, the government has set up some special funds to even kind of try to circumvent those coverage policies. But at the end of the day, it means that those drugs that are covered, uh, the British government is able to buy them at a much lower price. Um, in the U.S., you know, I, th- I think it's important to differentiate between kind of two, there are two prices that are relevant here. One is the price that insurers pay, and one is the price that patients pay. In most cases, the price that insurers pay is much higher. You know, the insurers cover a much higher percentage of the drug than patients. Uh, for some of the cancer drugs, if patients have Medicare with uh, supplemental policies or private insurance, you know, they pay a very little of the price of a drug. 
Yes. But everyone's still getting ripped off. So <laughs> it's, that's not your fault, Doctor. Doctor, Um. so we do have to wrap things up. Can you let our listeners know how they can learn more about the work that you do and also l- more about the pharmaceutical industry? Sure. So uh, uh, there's a website, the Kaiser Family Foundation. It's not necessarily specific to the pharmaceutical industry, but it has a lot of good information on their website, a lot of good information on the healthcare system. There's a website called Center Watch that has a lot of information about uh, drugs that have been approved. Um, other than that, you know, I'm at Emory University. You can Google my name, David Howard, although it's a pretty common name. But <laughs> if you Google David Howard Emory, you know, I'm happy to answer any questions. Uh, and it'll be really interesting. You know, there's so much attention now to being paid to high drug prices. It'll be really interesting to see where the debate takes us. So you guys heard that. David Howard, that's my personal doctor. No, I'm kidding. He's not my personal doctor. Um, before I let you go, David, my left shoulder has been itching. <laughs> do you know why? Do you, do you know what I could be doing wrong for that? David, tell him well, not to I drink so much. Well, I should let you know that I'm a uh, doctor in the sense that I have a PhD, not an MD. Uh, so, that said, I'd be very happy to uh, treat your shoulder, uh, but I probably will make it worse in the process. <laughs> doctor, I would like to let you know that I am stupid as in really stupid, so I don't know what those things mean. What's wrong with my shoulder? Just kidding. So <laughs> thank you for calling in, David. So I know Alyssa has some comments from Politically Preposterous she wanted to get around. So go ahead, Alyssa. Yeah, no, I do. And actually, though, before I get there, I, you know, I, I know we wanted to spend the last few minutes of this segment at least talking about just the reaction, the sort of the Internet reaction, because we've spent a lot of time talking about the substance of drug prices and why they cost so much. And the Internet reaction has been virulent and fierce. Um, and then, of course, though, and here this goes back to, you know, I, I know that our doc. Dr. Uh, Howard kind of said, well, I don't know if he's really a butthole or not about specifically about the substance. But um, apparently after the Internet reaction happened, he tweeted out some things like the lyrics to an Eminem song. He He thought that he was (laughs) Mr. Hot thing or whatever or that he was super cool. It's like, all right, we get it, bro. And then he was like tweeting, Instagramming out pictures of like forty thousand dollar bottle of wine that he bought. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, man, like we get it. You know, there's the substantive issue, which I think we've just addressed part of, and which is really important, just about research and development and the cost of that stuff and clinical trials in the FDA. But then there's just that line where it's just like, no, you're a, a not a, a nice person. person, and um, you know, and at some point, even now you've done this bad thing, the Internet's reacted, and your reaction is to then post your $40,000 bottle of wine and be like, hi, haters. No. <laughs> He's horrible. He's um, like you know, but 32-year-old rich white kid. Like, I who can't actually him. went to City College. Oh, if you wow. didn't know that, he went here, uh, right here at City College, where we're broadcasting from, and you can call us at 212-650-6903. Um, I'm having two comments coming from Facebook right now, so I'll give them to you. Ann Nelson says, this POS, you know what that means, I can't say it on the radio, is the epitome of what is wrong with this country. And Dan Whitaker says, the U.S. Congress is Big Pharma's best friend. Mm. Which sort of goes to a lot of comments that our guests made about the government's influence or interference with, you know, pharmaceutical productions. No, it's true. So, guys, this was a really depressing segment, and I want to really close close it out because it's just so amazing. I remember when I was in um, junior high school and high school, there there would always be the girl that I would like. And I thought that to get this girl to like me back, I had to be the guy that gave her everything she wanted and be super nice. And then she would always leave me for, like, this for another guy and I remember one day I confronted one of the guys that won the girl's heart over me and I said why do you keep getting this girl you're a horrible person everyone knows this he looked at me he smiled took a sip of his quarter water and said don't hit the player hit the <laughs> game 
and I did not understand it until I got older. Everyone's mad at the ph- pharmaceutical companies right now. Everyone is mad at this loser toolish guy right now because he hiked up the prices by 5,500% because he could. Why? He couldn't do this if it wasn't in the system. That's pretty much what Dr. David was saying the entire segment. Well, why are you mad at the pharmaceutical companies? This is, they're playing within the system you gave them. If you're really mad about the way things are, then you've got to do something about the system. It is not the person who mastered the game. It is the game itself. And you can't be mad for six minutes, go home, take a nap, go to brunch, come home drunk, take another nap and forget all about this. You've got to actually do something about this game. If not, you'll have people just dripping and dropping and dripping and dropping because they can't afford their health insurance or those prescription pills. And to show you what I mean, I got some empire for you right now, Drip Drop. We'll be right back, guys. <laughs> 